I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one 844 Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Kohler Smart Toilets introduce a new standard of design and cleanliness, sculptural forms, intuitive technology, and total personalization with integrated warm water cleansing, heated seats, and warm air dryers. For peace of mind and convenience, there are touchless lids, seats, flush, and a self-sanitizing bidet wand. Now you can even use voice commands with Numi 2.0, featuring built-in Amazon Alexa. Explore the complete lineup at Kohler.com slash smart toilets and discover what you've been missing. The National Women's Soccer League kicks off March 16th on ION. Out in front to Williams. It's a new Saturday night destination featuring the best players in the world. Takes a shot, she scores. See the full schedule and find where to watch at IONNWSL.com. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Face it, shaker bottles suck. Your protein shake always comes out clumpy and you look like an idiot using the thing. That's why I decided to ditch my shaker bottle for good and get myself a BlendJet 2 portable blender. It makes perfectly blended protein shakes that come out smooth, creamy, and delicious in just 20 seconds. So go to BlendJet.com and use promo code DCASTPOD at checkout to get 12% off your order. That's promo code DCASTPOD to get 12% off your order at checkout. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language, but just didn't have the time or money? I may have a solution for you. Her name is Jessica, and she gives free Chinese lessons daily at 11 p.m. Beijing time and 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Chinese is fun and easy if you have the right teacher. Let Jessica be that teacher and introduce yourself to the fastest growing language in the international job market today at tinyurl.com backslash tcjessica and tell her Ian sent you. Hello and welcome to the DeathCast. I am your host, author, and journalist, Ian Totten. I'd like to thank you for joining me as we prepare to take our 10th look 
at the West Memphis 3. Before I get into it this week, though, as always, I have the normal show notes and plugs. If you'd like to help support the show, there's a couple ways you can do this. First and foremost, you can go to your favorite podcast app, leave a five-star review. Also, subscribe to the show. You can also go to buymeacoffee.com backslash thedeathcast and make a one-time donation to the show. And lastly, you can go to tinyurl.com backslash decastpatreon and become a Patreon member. For as little as $2 a month, you get access to early release shows with no ads, as well as exclusive bonus content. And speaking of Patreon, we have a new Patreon member this week. Joining our first patron channel, we have Anthony. Thank you so much for signing up. I appreciate it. Now that all of that is out of the way, get yourself something to drink, find a nice comfy chair, kick back, and relax. I've got my coffee, I've got my cigarettes. Let's go into the crypt. We left off last week discussing Jesse Miss Kelly's two subsequent confessions, one being the Bible confession and the second being his confession to the prosecution team. We also discussed the idea that there may have been a deal offered to Jesse Miss Kelly, which is laughably bad, as they state right in the recording of this confession that no offer has been made, and Miss Kelly's lawyers vehemently protested against their client making this confession. However, he decided that it needed to be done because he needed to see the individuals who orchestrated these murders punished for their actions. Before we get into the trial of Jason Baldwin and Damien Eccles, we're going to look at something that we have touched on briefly throughout this series, and that is the girls at the baseball game. Jason Baldwin's girlfriend, Heather Klein, was playing at this game, and she later gave testimony that conflicted with the testimony of everyone else who came forward about the events of this. First off, she said that Damien was only there on one night. However, multiple individuals stated that Damien was in fact there on multiple nights. However, on one particular night, she stated that people were yelling things at Damien and that he was yelling things back at them, claiming later that she found out that Damien was supposedly telling people that he had killed the children and that he planned on killing more before he was taken into custody. Damien has since stated that these statements were in fact meant as a joke. However, Joke or not, they were extremely damning statements. Given the fact that there was a heightened awareness inside of the community over these murders. In further interviews, Eccles has claimed that he went to the softball game and heard people whispering and talking about him. Claiming that he 
was there with Baldwin and a few other people who could corroborate his story. However, to the best of my knowledge, no one has ever come forward to corroborate Damien's telling of the events. And this particular event is an often talked about but never really explored episode that really played a key part in Eccles and Baldwin being convicted. So according to Eccles, he may have said these things to people, although if he had said them, it was meant as a joke. I can't lie and say that I would not understand it had he said them as a joke, because I was much like he was at one point in my life, and I made very similar jokes, not having to ha deal with people who were actually murdered, but really inappropriate jokes that had no basis in reality, and to be honest, had no right coming out of my mouth. However, the big difference here is that the people that encountered Damien and who said he said these things did not say that he was joking. When I would say the types of things I used to say when I was younger, people knew and understood that I was joking. Damien, on the other hand, he already had a bad reputation around West Memphis because of his actions and the various stays in mental hospitals. For him to say these things, whether he meant them as a joke or not, which I personally do not believe that he did, that came off as an admission of guilt. That, coupled with other things that we have already discussed in this case, was very damning for Damien. One of the reasons why this is important is because Damien testified at trial that he never in fact made any of these statements, only to contradict himself you know, many years later. One of these girls, who we're going to call Jody, gave a written statement on June 11th, 1993, that'll read it verbatim. About two weeks ago, I was at the girls' club softball field, and I heard Damien say, I killed the three little boys, and before I turned myself in, I am going to kill two more, and I already had one of them picked out. I overheard him say this to a group of people when I was walking by him. I don't know him, I just know of him. And Jason Baldwin and his girlfriend, Heather, were standing by him. I was with my sister, Jackie, and her friend... Christy Van Vickle. That was the first time I'd ever seen Damien, and the next night he was there too. She also stated that she believed this incident took place on Monday and Tuesday, May 24th and 25th. Her sister Jackie also gave a statement on June 11th corroborating her sister's recounting of this event. Another sister by the name of Jessica stated, I was at the girl club about two weeks ago. I was sitting with my mom. I heard him say he did kill the three boys. My cousin asked him. I heard her voice and turned around. I then heard him say it after she asked him. My cousin Katie Hendricks, and he is Damien. There was another boy with him, but I don't know who it was. The mother also gave a statement. This was on June 7th, the week of May 24th, when my two girls, Jody and Jackie, and Christy 
got in the car, they all started talking at once, telling me about what that weird black-haired boy had said that night. They all said they heard him say that he had killed those three little boys. Jody said she heard him say he had killed the boys, and before he got caught or turned himself in, he was going to kill two more and already had one picked out. I told him he was just nuts and to stay away from him. Katie Hendricks was also with me that night and repeated the same story. She also told me that he had said he was going to bite her titties off. When he left, she yelled, did you really kill those three boys? And he yelled, yes. Now, the mother reported this incident to the director of this girls' club after her, one of her daughters saw Eccles on television and pointed out that he was the one who had made the statement at the baseball game. Later, in a sworn statement, she basically gave the same facts and said that she had told her daughters to forget about the incident because at the time she did not believe that Eccles was responsible. Instead, she thought he was more than likely trying to just draw attention to himself. However, that family is not the only ones who came forward with this story. There were a few others who came forward, and I want to touch upon for a moment. There are those who say that this entire event was a much bigger deal than it has been made out to be. That Eccles was in fact screaming across the ballpark at people, so much so that he made a disturbance and individuals had to escort him off of the property. I have never encountered anything to verify these claims. I believe that if it did happen, it was more likely than not that he got into a verbal altercation with these two girls and that it escalated to the point that Eccles said these things, whether he was bragging or letting them know this as a threat is really up to self-interpretation. Cannot be denied, though, the impact of this particular series of stories had on the jury when Eccles went to trial with Jason Baldwin. In fact, these were the last group of witnesses called by the prosecution, and it was a very damning testimony against him and spoke greatly towards Eccles' character and how he was seen and had come to be seen within the community of West Memphis. We're going to touch on some of the testimony from the trial going forward. Christy, who was one of the girls at the baseball game, testified and said that on the stand she was very nervous. And, quote, a whole crowd of people were with her or around her when Eccles admitted to having killed the boys. While her sister stated, I heard Damien Eccles say that he had killed the three little boys and before he turned himself in that he was going to kill two more and that he already had one of them picked out. Further stating, I was just walking around the corner, gonna go talk to some of my friends and I saw him and I heard him. Jody also testified that she had heard people at the ball game talking about Eccles, and while she knew the name, she was not overly familiar with him. She heard people asking whether or not they thought Eccles could have been involved in the murders. We're going to move on to 
the various alibis of Damien Eccles as they were presented at trial. The most often discussed and clung to by supporters of the West Memphis Three is the alibi that Damien Eccles was in fact on the phone with three different young girls on the evening of the murders. Eccles claimed and has continued to claim that he was on the phone with these three young girls variously from roughly 4.30 in the afternoon after Jason Baldwin finished mowing his uncle's yard until 9.30 or 10 o'clock that evening. In later years, Baldwin has tried to grasp a hold of these statements and claimed that he was talking with these girls as well. However, none of these girls have ever claimed to have spoken with Jason Baldwin on the night of May 5th. First of these girls is Heather Klein, who is Jason Baldwin's girlfriend. On June 7th of 1993, she gave a statement to police claiming that she had been unable to get in contact with Jason Baldwin on the afternoon or evening of May 5th, despite numerous attempts to do so, and that she was unable to find Eccles at his home until at least 10.30 that evening. She also stated that she had been talking with a girl by the name of Holly, roughly starting at 9 p.m. that evening, and that she and Holly had both made numerous attempts to get a hold of Damien that night and were unsuccessful until roughly 10.30. Basically, according to this telling of offense, Damien got home and they'd had a party line. Damien spoke to Heather for a moment before turning his attention to Holly, at which point Heather got off the line and Holly later told her that Damien had said he had been out walking around that evening and they had discussed getting Damien together with another girl by the name of Jennifer. Now, Heather did give another statement that year. It's unknown if this was before or after the arrests took place, wherein she said that she was friends with Holly and this other girl, Jennifer, and she had met them at the skating rink a few months beforehand that both girls lived in Tennessee. One of them had a party line, and when she spoke to them on the phone, the other two had already been deeply engrossed in conversation. Read one of her statements. On Friday, 05-07-93, I talked to Holly at the skating rink, and I asked her where Damien had been on Wednesday when they were trying to call him, and she said that Damien had been out walking in the neighborhood. I assume that the neighborhood she was talking about was around Ingram Street. Holly is a friend of Damien. She was helping to get Jennifer and Damien together. About one month ago, Jennifer and Holly came back to the skating rink, and Jennifer told me that Jesse, Miss Kelly... Murray and Domini are the ones who had actually killed the boys. Important to note that Ingram Street is actually very close to where the Hollingsworth family said that they saw Damien Eccles as he was leaving the crime scene. Many years after the fact, Heather would claim that she had in fact been on the phone with Jason and Damien the entire evening 
alternating between the two boys, which is perjuring her earlier statements, which to me screams of deception. I think it's more likely than not that she either was leaned on by someone from the West Memphis Three camp, or she independently decided that no matter what, she was going to make certain that she was able to give the convicted killers an alibi in an effort to try and get them out. I don't believe that she was on the phone with them the entire night. She also claimed that Holly was not on the phone call that evening with them, this despite the fact that she had been claiming it for years, and in fact, these statements really helped to solidify the case against Eccles and Baldwin. She further claimed, quote, had I been called to testify at the time of the trials of these cases, I would have been able to testify about my recollection of events, the phone calls that I have described here, and other matters that I knew about. Further perjuring herself, because in her statements, to the police in 1993, she was pretty adamant about the fact that she had been unable to get in contact with Jason Baldwin at all that day and that she had been unable to get in contact with Damian Eccles until 10 or 10.30. Holly George stated that she had only spoken with Eccles for about five minutes on May 5th. This was at roughly 3.30 in the afternoon much earlier than the murders are known to have taken place. She further stated that Jennifer called her back once she got off the phone call at roughly 9 o'clock. When questioned by police, Holly stated that Jennifer, upon calling her back, informed her that she had attempted to get in touch with Eccles that evening but had been unable to do so as no one answered the phone. Ridge. Okay, so you tried to call Jason that day and you couldn't answer, and that was shortly after you had talked to Damien about 3.30, and you were only on the phone with Damien about five minutes that day. Is that right? Holly. Um, um. She consistently sucked to this story because she was questioned again and did state that she talked to Damien once on May 5th, and that the phone call had taken place somewhere between 3 and 4 further stating that it was herself, Jennifer, and Damien on the phone, and that she, in fact, had called Damien. Years later, she claimed that she did talk to Damien on May 5th, uh, as well as Jason Baldwin, but she went on to further state that she could not recall the time of these phone calls, which, given the passage of time, is very plausible. People like to make a big deal about the fact that, you know, somebody doesn't remember a minute detail about a case so many years after the fact. You have to remember that it's not like she witnessed the two of them committing these murders and was looking at a clock at the time that it occurred. To her, May 5th was just another day, and other than the fact that she had been questioned by police, it's very likely that Holly George would never have thought about that five-minute phone conversation again in her life. Now, May 10th, five days after the murders, when Eccles was questioned, he informed the police that he had, in fact, 
spent the afternoon from about 3 to 5 at a friend's home before going home where he spoke with Holly George on the phone from roughly 5, 5.30 until 11.30 that night. This is important because according to Damien and Domini, they had a pretty major argument while they were on the phone at roughly 10 o'clock that evening that centered around the fact that Damien was having conversations with other girls, particularly girls who were much younger than Damien. And Domini did not like this as she realized that he was a scumbag and was just trying to get laid. Jennifer Bearden, who has since tried to change her story, informed police that she had spoken with Eccles around 3.30 or 4 on the afternoon of May 5th at Baldwin's home at roughly 4.30 and then again at roughly 9.30 that evening because she had called and been informed that he was not at home. 2004 that she said that she had spoken with Eccles three times after 3 p.m. Once in the afternoon, again at Baldwin's home, and then around 9.30, this after calling and getting a busy signal and calling back and being informed that he was not at home by Eccles' grandmother. About Baldwin, she said she called, quote, somewhere in between 4.15, something like that, 5, 5.30, and that she had spoken with Baldwin for about five minutes before speaking with Eccles, who was also at Baldwin's house, and that they spoke for roughly 20 minutes. She also stated that Eccles told her that he and Baldwin were going somewhere, but he would not tell her where it was that they were going. Jennifer also stated that she had heard a lot of things about Domini and Murray and Damien, particularly that Domini was a witch and Murray was a high priest. She also stated that people around the skating rink are the ones who had informed her that Damien had been involved in the murders. Keep in mind, she gave this statement well before the arrests took place. She gave further testimony during the early 2000s, in which she basically said the exact same thing that she had been saying all along, which is that she had spoken to J Damien a couple of times that afternoon, and then later in the evening, well after the time frame where the boys are thought to have been killed. The only contradictory thing that she really said was that she believed her phone call with Damien went past 9.30 when she was supposed to be off the phone, and lasted closer to 10 o'clock, which she had been fearful of her mother finding out as she would have gotten into trouble. So again, Damien does not have an alibi in regards to the phone call, as all three of these young women stated at the time that they had not spoken to him during the period of time during which the murders are known to have occurred, and only one of them has really recanted her statements from that period of time. They further stated that they did not talk to Baldwin at any point after 5.30 on the afternoon of May 5th, 
thus leaving the whereabouts of the two young men in question. In September of 1993, Eccles' sister Michelle tried to give him an alibi, stating that the entire family had gone over to a family friend's house and stayed there until roughly 7 o'clock, after which they came home and Damien had stayed on the phone until about 10 or 10.30 as she knew the times because she was in the midst of watching Melrose Place. She stated she remembered that Damien was on the phone because they, she was always getting mad at him because she wanted to use the phone. She further expanded, stating that he had talked to Jennifer and Holly as well as Jason Baldwin. Now, I can't really fault his sister Michelle for trying to give her brother an alibi because they are blood. And while I'm not the type of individual who would give anyone an alibi that wasn't true, I understand the thought process behind it. It's your older brother. You don't want to see him get into this kind of trouble. That being said, this alibi as well as the earlier part of her alibi where they all went over to a family friend's house were completely shredded at trial. At trial, Damien was not able to give any specifics about these times of these phone calls, going so far as to claim that he thought he and Dominique may have argued that evening. Jason Baldwin is different from both Miss Kelly and Eccles in that Prior to the trial and during the trial, he never attempted to give an alibi, although he did claim in subsequent years that he had informed the police that he was with friends and family. There is no documentation to indicate that he ever gave this information to the police, and that if he did give this information to the police, that they went and followed up on it, which is something that they did do with both Miss Kelly and Eccles. It seems highly unlikely to me that the police would follow up on the other two individuals' alibis and not on the alibi of the third individual accused of these horrendous crimes. Prior to trial, Jason claimed in a letter to Heather that he was in fact innocent and had a slew of people ready to testify on his behalf at trial. I talked about this in an earlier episode about how Jason Baldwin is the only one of the three who refused to take the Alford plea when the boys were eventually released from prison which maintained their guilt but legally allowed them to protest their innocent. And I did give Baldwin props for at least sticking to his guns in the idea of he's saying he's innocent and he's not going to take anything less than that. And the fact that he was bullied by the supporters and lawyers of Eccles into taking this deal... He's also the only one that, to the best of my knowledge, has never given any incriminating statements, either prior to the arrest or after the arrest. So that leads us down a small little rabbit hole, just for the briefest of instances. We have talked about L.G. Hollingsworth and how he is still considered a possible fourth suspect, just for the briefest of instances, I want you to 
put this one in your pipe and smoke it. What if Jason Baldwin was in fact not involved in these crimes and it was L.G. Hollingsworth who was involved in place of Jason Baldwin? That would explain why Baldwin refused to take the plea agreement uh, based on the grounds that he was not involved. I'm not saying this is what happened, it's just speculation on my part, but it would give an idea as to his character and as to his refusal to want to take that plea agreement in the first place because he didn't really do it and knowing he didn't do it he did not want to give the state the satisfaction of continuing to state that he is a convicted killer it is something to think about in this case but i digress baldwin's family all tried to say that he had been with them with the exception of his mother's then ex-boyfriend dink dent who was living at the Baldwin household during this period of time and stated that Baldwin, in fact, was not home until at least 9.30 or 9.45. The only bit of testimony from prosecution witnesses that did not, in fact, indicate Jason Baldwin was involved in these crimes came from Narlene Hollingsworth and her family, who stated that they thought that they had seen Domini with Jay Damien on the night covered in mud, water, and blood, and not Jason. Beyond that, there is no other statements made at the trial that take any of the blame from Jason Baldwin. So Jason Baldwin's alibi is a lost cause because, again, he's never given an alibi and no one has ever come forward to give a credible alibi for him. Part of that is, in fact, due to his mother, Pam, who, upon finding her son speaking with the police on May 5th, forbid him from having any further contact with them. I understand her mindset on it of, you're not going to talk to my son unless there's a lawyer present. I also understand how the police viewed that and continue to view that, which is that if he wasn't involved, then there should be no problem talking with us. If you talk to any police officer and he's candid with you, he will tell you, you never talk to the police. Whether you did a thing or not, you never talk to the police. So it's really a catch-22 where he's damned if he does and he's damned if he doesn't. Talking to them, they might get information that is incriminating that they can use against him in court. Not talking to them makes it appear to the officers as though he's got something to hide. At trial, as opposed to Damien who attempted to give alibis, Baldwin's defense was simply there is no evidence to connect him to the crimes. His lawyers, however, did admit many years later that Baldwin did not help his defense as he was unable to offer any witnesses who they could place on the stand to give an alibi or a character assessment of him. Something else that Baldwin's lawyers did during the trial was really allow Damien to hang himself while trying to mitigate any of the fallout that came from this public hanging that might come onto their own client. In fact, the only bit 
of an alibi that Baldwin was able to give that was corroborated by others is that on the afternoon of May 5th, he went with Damien and Dominie over to his uncle's house to cut the lawn, and that he finished at roughly 5.30. Other alibi witnesses admitted that they had been pressured by members of Baldwin's family to give an alibi for him, one of them being Garrett Schwarting. Even the little brother of Jason Matthew tried to give an alibi for his brother. However, it was so flimsy and full of holes that the defense decided that he would fold under questioning by the prosecution. Jason's uncle tried to claim that it took his nephew two hours to cut the lawn, which if you ever see pictures of this particular house, for it to have taken a high school student two hours means he was either severely goofing off or he was cutting it with a pair of scissors. This is a lawn in name only. It is very, very small. Dominique stated that she went with Baldwin Eccles and Kenneth Watkins to the uncle's house on the afternoon of the 5th, after which she and Damien had walked to the laundromat at roughly 6 o'clock where Damien's father had picked them up. Now, Damien was and still is his own worst enemy. He testified at trial, and you can see snippets of this testimony actually in the first Paradise Lost film where Damien really comes off as a nervous which is understandable as he's up on capital murder charges but be like he's trying to put on a show constantly correcting the prosecution on what the magic that he practices is and just what his beliefs are and how he had been in Aleister Crowley for a, since he was a young child. Things that Damien in subsequent years after his conviction attempted to downplay and say never happened, that he never said. We have the trial testimony from him in which he does in fact state these things. I am going to read some of the testimony of Damien Eccles. I want you to be aware I'm not reading all of it. It's easy enough to Google search Damien Eccles' trial testimony and come up with the transcripts yourself. Question. During the time period in your later teenage years, did you develop an interest in different types of religious or what beliefs were you studying at this time period? Answer. I've read about all different types of religions because I've always wondered, like, how do we know we got the right one? How do we know we're not messing up? Question, was there after the, before you were studying about the Catholic religion, was there another religion that you were really concentrating and focusing on? Answer, no more than the Catholic. Question, after the time period that you were really into Catholic religion, did you start focusing on another particular religion? Answer, Wicca. Question, Wicca. All right. Could you explain to the ladies and gentlemen of the jury what are some of the principles of the Wicca religion? 
Answer, it acknowledges a goddess in a higher regard as a god because people have always said we're all God's children and men cannot have children. It's basically a close involvement with nature. Question, did you do a lot of reading about the Wicca religion? Answer, yes. Question, what, whose books or what were whose writings did you read or learn about that? Answer, the main one, I guess, was Buckland. Question, do you know what the name of this book is offhand? Answer, uh, I can't remember right now. Question, approximately what period of time, or if you want to go back from May the 5th of 1993, what period of time is it that you were really studying about the Wicca religion? Answer, probably a year, two years before the murder, I started reading about it. Damien then goes on to talk about his shadow journal, which is basically a journal of his day-to-day -day life and the things he's thinking about, that type of thing. Damien also admits to writing lyrics from songs inside of this journal, which I was his age once too. I was extremely into heavy metal. I can't fault him for doing that type of thing. To me, that does not indicate innocence or guilt. It's just a teenage metalhead being a teenage metalhead. Damien is asked about various posters in his room that they're from a band as well as the skull, one of the skulls that was found in his room and he claims that Jack Eccles and he had found it and that Jack had cleaned it up for him and given it to him because Damien thought it was kind of cool. He claims that it had no satanic imagery associated with it, nor was it associated with any form of occult beliefs. Damien then goes on to explain that a book he is being shown, which has been entered into state's evidence, contains pieces from various spells that he had found throughout the years. They again go on to discuss Damien's book collection and books that he has gotten over the years from various book sales. It is important at this point to point out that the state had settled on the fact that this was in fact a occult-motivated killing, and that they were attempting to paint Damien. Damien Eccles as a believer in the occult and as a member of a cult that had carried out these killings. That's why this line of questioning by the defense team is important because what they're trying to do is paint Damien as someone who was into one thing but he wasn't so into it that he went to the black magic side of things and that he was able to differentiate between the two. Back in the trial, they continue to ask Damien questions. Damien then went on to try and claim that he dressed all in black because people told him he looked good in it and he's very self-conscious about his looks and that if he does not dress the way that he likes to, he will get excruciating headaches because he's paranoid about the way that he looks. Damien also it agrees that he had checked out books on witchcraft from the library. He and Baldwin were best friends, as well as the fact that he and Baldwin, neither of whom had a license, walked around West Memphis quite often. After this, Damien goes on to recount the events of May 5th to the best of his recollection, starting with having an appointment with a mental health professional first thing in the morning before changing that to later in the day. He then admits to knowing the Sanders family, having lived with them for a short period of time, 
and going over there quite often, stating that he did go over to the Sanders household at some point on May 5th, although he could not remember the times. Now, I am going to posit this in his defense. Just as I stated with others where May 5th was an ordinary day for them, and it's understandable that they would not be able to give exact times on anything, either immediately after the events of May 5th, or in the subsequent years after that, Damien falls into that same category if you were to believe that he is innocent. If May 5th was just another day to him, then it's understandable he would not be able to give a specific time that he was over there. If he, in fact, did go over there and was not involved in these murders, given the stress of the situation that he now found himself in, it is also understandable that he would not be able to recall those times, although I would imagine that his defense team would have prepped him beforehand on the times that his family and the Sanders said that he was there. I personally believe that Damien did not know the times because he was not actually there. Damien also contradicts the testimony of others by saying that they were only at the Sanders household for a short period of time and that he did not talk to anybody while he was there. He is then asked point blank if he killed any of the boys, to which Damien says no. He also states that he has never been in Robin Hood Woods, even though prior to being arrested, he informed the police that he was familiar with the area. He claims that he became aware that the boys were missing on the 6th or the 7th. He also talks about how he vaguely recalls that the police came to talk to him a day or two after the bodies were discovered, but he does state that he remembers when they came to speak with him. Damien states that the officers really didn't give him any information on the murders. And I'm going to read this verbatim. Question, do you recall what they told you on that occasion? Answer, I remember Steve Jones asked me why they would be in the water. I said, I don't know. I guess they tried to hide them or something. And he said, was it possible that they were pushed into the water to flush urine out of their system? I, yeah, I guess. Question, did they tell any other details of what happened to the bodies or how they died or the condition the bodies were in? Answer, they asked me how I thought and I heard mutilated, but when I thought of mutilated, I thought it was like all chopped up or something. I figured there would be like a, wouldn't be a whole body or anything. Question, had there been rumors started already about what happened to the boys? Answer, yes. Question, was this something that a lot of people in West Memphis were talking about? Answer, everybody was talking about it. Question, everybody was talking about it. Okay, do you recall if those officers took a picture of you on that day that they came to see you? Answer, yes. Yes, they did. Question, do you recall what you were wearing? Answer, I was wearing a pair of blue jeans and a tie-dyed t-shirt. Question, there was a photograph that was introduced earlier about... Uh, with a Portland Trailblazers basketball. Do you recall if you were wearing that? Answer, no, that was the second time they took a picture. Answer, did they come back on May 9th and want to talk to you? Answer, I'm not sure about any of the dates. We're going to dissect this real quick. Eccles himself 
told the police about the urine in the system, we have this written verbatim of his answers, just as he gave a reason as to why the bodies were placed into the water was to possibly wash urine out of the boys' systems. He also stated that one of the boys was probably mutilated worse than the others, something that he glances over in his testimony here by just stating that the bodies were mutilated or that's what he had heard. We know from testimony from others that Eccles, yes, he did hear about things around town, but nobody was saying that the boys had been mutilated. In his statements to the police on two different occasions, he stated that he had read it in the newspaper that the boys were mutilated. We know from being able to go back and look at the newspapers of the time that none of that information was made public, nor was it made public that one of the boys was savage worse than the others. This is information that Damien Eccles gave to the police when he was questioned by them on two separate occasions, and it is information that only the killer could know. He also talks about being asked a set of 32 questions by the officers on both occasions. Damien also, again, when discussing the longer conversation he had with police on the 10th, claims that he only had information that was available on the TV. We know that's not true based on the statements that he gave to Detective Brian Ridge. There is an objection as Damien is being asked leading questions before he is asked. There was, do you recall Detective Ridge testifying that you made some comments to him about, I will tell you everything I know if you let me talk to my mother? Answer, yes. Question, did you tell him that? Answer, yes. Question, did you talk to your mother? Answer, yes, I did. Question, why did you give that response to him? Answer, because that's the only way he would let me talk to my mother. They kept asking me, saying, if even if you did not do it, we know that you know something about it. So I said, I will tell you everything I know after you let me talk to my mom. After I talked to my mom, he said, all right, now tell us everything you know. I said, I don't know anything, and they got mad. Question, did he get mad at you based on that response? Answer, yes. Question, do you, did he ask you what you were afraid of? Answer, yes. Question, do you recall what your answer was? Answer, no. Question, do you recall looking at the one-page sheet summarizing the two-hour conversation that says he asked you what you were afraid of and you said the electric chair? Answer, I said that. Question, that's on the sheet that he has. Did you ever tell him you were afraid of the electric chair? Answer, I don't remember saying that. Question, did Officer Durham let you look at any notes he was taking to write down your name and confirm, yes, this is what I told you on this date? Answer, no, he did not. Question, after talking with Durham, did they have any other officers that wanted to talk with you? Answer, about the whole police department came in at one time. Question, do you recall the answers... What answers you were giving during the later part of your interrogation? Answer, I don't know the exact word, but I know pretty much what I said. Question, pretty much tell the jury what you said in this part. Answer, they asked me if I had anything to do with the murders, and I told them no, I did not. They asked me if I, did I know anybody that had anything to do with the murders, I told them no, I did not. 
They didn't like that, so they kept asking it over and over again. That's pretty standard police procedure, especially when they have an individual that they don't believe, is to repeatedly ask uh, the same question over and over again, oftentimes rephrasing it in a different way, or moving on to a subject and then coming back to it. They do this in order to try and trip the suspect up into revealing something they might know that they're not willing to tell the officers. Damien then admits to not being questioned by police after that until he was arrested and stating that he did in fact go to the softball game, he gave hair samples, fingerprints was photographed, as well as the police seizing items from his house, including his trench coat. Damien is then asked about the testimony of Dale Griffiths. I have discussed Dale Griffiths in other episodes, He's a very contentious figure in this case as he purported himself to be an expert on the occult and occult slayings and the use of the term expert in terms of Dale Griffiths is really stretching the definition of that word as he was accredited by a male in college if I'm not mistaken. But Damien does state that he was correct on some of the things that he stated, incorrect on others, such as lumping all sorts of non-mainstream religions into the same grouping of occultism, specifically Satanism. Damien also states that he has been buying knives for a very long time before stating that he has never seen State Exhibit 77, which is the lake knife that was found in the lake behind the Baldwin home. Damien admits to having many knives similar to the one that was found in the lake before they diverge off into trying to get into how Damien feels about having been charged with these murders. There is a bit of an argument between the lawyers and the judge concerning the relevancy to this line of questioning with in regards to how Damien was feeling then as opposed to how he felt um, at the time of the murders. Damien says that he feels angry sometimes when he sees stuff on TV, sometimes sad, sometimes scared. And after this, Damien is cross-examined by Mr. Davis, who is the prosecution. My mistake earlier, a few moments ago, I said he was being pro examined by the prosecution. It was actually the defense. I apologize for that. I am reading directly from trial transcripts, and unfortunately the copy I have does not list who is questioning Damien during the opening portion of this testimony. At any rate, we are going to leave it off at this point as we are just about at the hour we will continue next week, however, discussing the trial of Eccles and Baldwin. Until next time, the Death Cast is a production of Corpse Creek Publishing in association with Big Pond Podcasts. Stay morbid! Hi. 
Hi, I'm Cindy Lauper. My scalp was covered with psoriasis, which could lead to psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix treats both. Cosentix Secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis, 300 milligram dose, and adults with active psoriatic arthritis, 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or 1-844-COSENTIX. Cosentix works for me. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Kohler Smart Toilets introduce a new standard of design and cleanliness, sculptural forms, intuitive technology, and total personalization with integrated warm water cleansing, heated seats, and warm air dryers. For peace of mind and convenience, there are touchless lids, seats, flush, and a self-sanitizing bidet wand. Now you can even use voice commands with Numi 2.0, featuring built-in Amazon Alexa. Explore the complete lineup at Kohler.com slash smart toilets and discover what you've been missing. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.